0: Pastor Xavier Reese, and a question of accountability. If Paul says God will hold a Jew responsible for
1: the oracles of God, how much more are we responsible for the New Testament message of the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Especially as Americans, with our history, with our opportunity to study, to read, to purchase books, to have Bibles. What judgment?
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most protests advocate the underlying message, We're fighting for our rights. Give us what we deserve. That may be a good argument for a pay raise or job security, but not when it comes to salvation and eternal security. Just what does it take to gain access to the kingdom of God? Well, take a moment and open up your Bible as Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Romans. For today's study, All Are Guilty Before God. Let's listen.
1: Paul the Apostle has, in his epistle, boldly proclaimed the opening proclamation that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. to The Jew first and to the Greek, and he quotes Habakkuk the prophet. The message of the gospel, the proclamation by faith. Next, Paul revealed that from the beginning of time, man has been without excuse regarding the denial and rejection about the knowledge and the existence of God due to creation, conscience, and history. Man's without excuse. And then Paul revealed the certainty of the righteous judgment of God over the moralists who are hypocrites, self-righteous, and if they die without Christ, they will perish. Paul also pointed out that the Jews had a great privilege to be chosen of God as the covenant people The danger being that they did not live up to the covenant. Misunderstanding the right of circumcision for their standing before God instead of having a circumcised heart. And a mark of obedience. Which really was that mark of obedience. Now Paul having proven that the Gentiles as well as the Jews are far from God. And deceived about their knowledge of God as well as the things of God. And the righteousness of God. Now is presented Versus the unrighteousness of man to bring about the concluding verdict that the entire world is guilty before God. And he does it through three perspectives here. Let me read here the 20 verses and we'll break it down. What advantage then as a Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, the condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God, they all have turned aside. They have together become unprovable. There is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before the rise. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so Paul's final argument here, the righteousness of God versus the unrighteousness of man, to bring about that concluding verdict of guilt of the whole world before God through the three perspectives that follow. First... We see the distortion of God's righteousness defended, verse 1 through 8. Secondly, we see the description of man's unrighteousness revealed in verse 9 through 18. And then thirdly, the declaration of man's guilt for unrighteousness pronounced in verse 19 and 20. The distortion of God's unrighteousness defended. Look at verse 1. The Apostle Paul here, having revealed that the confidence of the Jews simply was on possessing the law and the covenant was a false assurance. They had to be a doer of the law. This is the connection in verse 1. Chapter division sometimes lets us forget what precedes it. He has just spoken about the covenant and circumcision. Paul continues in this diatribe. As this prosecuting attorney, taking the advocate's side, sometimes arguing, posing questions that will either bring about the right answer or show the ludicrous of the concept or thought or accusation against God. Again, to show the guilt of the Jew here because the Jew is a topic. Verse 1 through 8. Paul asks two questions. Verse 1. First, what advantage then has the Jew? The second, what profit is there in circumcision? Paul is referring back, as I said, back to chapter 2. He just stated that the Jew had a high privilege. And therefore, he was more accountable to God for his failure to live up to the word of God. And he caused the Gentiles to blaspheme God in chapter 2, verse 17 to 24. He also said that their circumcision was seen as uncircumcision by God. If they disobeyed the law. For a true Jew is one who circumcised at heart. Chapter 2, verse 25 through 29. Now notice verse 2. The Apostle Paul declared their advantage now. Paul stated that the Jew had much advantage in every way, but he chooses only one thing to focus on, the oracles of God. The word chiefly means first in a series emphasizing priority and importance. He says, there are many things, this is the one I'm choosing. The word oracles, logia, or logia, whichever way you want to pronounce it, refers to the divine word of God. The content of the revelation that God has entrusted to man. Revealing the will of God for man. Revealing the promises of God to man. And revealing the warnings of God to man also. Revealing the prophecies of the Messiah born to be a man. This is God's revelation. This is the high privilege. As you've seen, as you go through these 20 verses, he says it is written it is written. He's using the word of God to verify and prove what he's saying. The oracles, the divine revelation of God's word. This word is used often in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings. And as you know, Paul and many of the New Testament writers... We're quoting from the Septuagint, they had the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. Because all they had was the Old Testament, not the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. How would you like to preach Christ Jesus out of the Old Testament? Can you do that? No New Testament. (laughs) That's what they were doing right here. Now, notice Paul stated that the word of God was entrusted to the Jews. Now, you cannot miss the association or miss what is implied here by the oracles of God. For the following reasons. First. Because to believe. They were entrusted the word of God. To believe it completely. You understand? They were committed to believe it completely. Not partially. Not to be selective. To proclaim them to others. The revelation. The oracles of God. Because all men are lost as we'll see. And to transmit them. To the following generation. As accurate As possible, trusting the Lord to keep His word, that that revelation would always reach the succeeding generations. Deuteronomy speaks about it much. Now, notice the Apostle Paul defended the faithfulness of God by presenting an argument from the human perspective in verse 3 and 4 that would seek to find fault with God and then refutes it. We've all heard... People always trying to hang God, accuse God, find fault in the justice of God. So Paul is taking the, this unbelieving Jew side as a person, like that prosecuting attorney, and bringing these questions. Listen carefully. In verse 3, Paul poses the condition of some Jew not believing in the revelation of God. He says this in a question. For what if some did not believe? There were Jews who believed in the word of God. As well as is evident by their history of that remnant that also went into captivity and return. The majority did not. There were Jews who did not believe, and again, the history shows it. That's why they went into captivity. They're not automatically Jews, as he said there at the end of chapter 2, just because of the covenant or circumcision. Now, he then poses notice a ridiculous result of such unbelief by a rhetorical question... Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The word unbelief means without faith. In other words, they don't trust the word of God to be reliable. And this is the charge. The phrase without effect means to abolish, to bring to an end. So in other words, if some Jew did not believe what God had revealed in his word and trusted to them would that make the revelation null and void or inoperative? Of course not. No more than if you would say, well, you know, 10 and 10 is not 20, it's 22. Well, try to balance your checkbook like that. Your unbelief that 10 and 10 is not 20 doesn't change the fact that 10 and 10 is 20. Paul states the obvious and only answer to this rhetorical question in verse 4, revealing the foolishness of such a thought. His response was immediate, exclamatory, and emphatically in the negative. Certainly not, as to say, perish the thought, God forbid. What man believes or disbelieves about God in his word in no way alters the promises, plans, or the prophecies of God, for they are not sourced in man, but in God. He's all-knowing. He has for knowledge. He does as he wills. And no one can say, what are you doing? I'm quoting Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4.35. <laughs> now, he follows by declaring the faithful reliability of God opposed to man's unreliability. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. The word true simply means faithfulness. Liar simply means unfaithful, untruthful, false. The contrast between man and God is his day and night. The chasm is so great. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's greater than that. <laughs> Jesus says Satan's a liar and the father of it in John eight forty four. 44. Now notice this proof. Is from the Psalms. Again, he quotes the scriptures. The first declares the contrast of God being true, but every man a liar. Psalm 116, 11. The second declares the just judgment of God over David's sin with Bathsheba, as he had sinned against God alone, showing the inability of man to charge God with unrighteous judgment. Psalm 51, 4. So when God judged David... David deserved it. The judgment was just. In fact, it was merciful. He should have struck him dead. And don't confuse the word overcome. It refers to God. It means to prevail. Or to win the case. And it's evident by the two capital youth. That you... As he says there, may be the one who overcomes. When people falsely charge you for your justice, God, and they look at your history of judgments, the only they can say is, he's just. What an excellent judgment. You understand? Wow. We've all heard people say, well, you know, I can't believe in a God who allows children to be born with birth defects. And and I can't believe why God allowed my father to do this or happen that. And all these lame things which are more emotional and blasphemous towards God. And so people have a difficult time with the justice and the fairness of God. As if God has to give them explanation. Wow. Look at verse 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul then defends the righteousness or justice of God by posing three arguments from the human perspective. Verse 5, Paul first argues, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God all the more, are we to conclude that God is unjust to inflict wrath on us for our unrighteousness? It's a two-part question. He uses a wordplay here. What is our response to be towards God if our unrighteous conduct establishes or commends the, un- the righteous character of God all the more? So if my evil living magnifies God's righteousness, then why is he faulting me? If, if, if my sin magnifies him and glorifies him, then what's the problem? And many people will, will think like that. I'm actually proving God right. He says I'm a sinner. So what's the problem? Leave me alone. Wow. Paul says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what should we say? So what's our response to be? Are we to conclude that God is unjust and wrong to pour out his wrath on us for our unrighteous conduct? Listen to his words. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Once again, it's a rhetorical question with only one obvious answer. It's no. For God is the epitome of holiness. Notice the Apostle Paul quickly rejects such a thought by two statements at the end of verse 5. He first qualifies the statement of verse 5. I speak as a man, referring to one who does not know God, a natural man. He says, I'm saying this... From the perspective of the natural person. Whether it be the Jew. And we can make it in secondary application to the Gentile. It's from the person who doesn't know God. And finds fault in God's judgment. How can God judge an entire world. And destroy them. How can God reject my grandmother. All these kind of things. Then he says. Certainly not. Once again emphatic. And he said, for how will God judge the world? Verse 6. If God makes a mistake with this one unbelieving Jew, then how in the world is he going to be able to judge the entire world? In other words, it's a foolish thought. Now notice verse 7. Paul secondly argues that if his lie promotes and advances God's truth of this unbelieving Jew, why does God judge him as a sinner? If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory... Why am I still judged as a sinner? The reason in being, if I am helping God in my lie, shouldn't God reward me? Or at least not be so hard on me? So I'm gonna prove the grace of God and the holiness of God and I'm just gonna go out and be a horrible sinner. I'm gonna just do this and that and then I'm just gonna prove that I'm a sinner and that'll bring people to God. Shouldn't God reward me? <laughs> Hey, there's people that think like that. In fact, if you're hyper-Calvinist, you believe that God predestined you to, during the time of your sin, so that you could have a testimony. That's blasphemous. The reason, again, being, if my false words actually bring glory to God, then why am I still judged by God as a sinner? There was a man called Mike Warnicke. You guys remember Mike Warnicke? During the 80s? Man, he was big. God used him to bring thousands of people to the Lord. He said he was a Marine. And he was in the occult. And police used him for all kinds of stuff and everything else. And then he was busted. He was never a Marine. He was never in the occult. Nothing else. Now, thousands came to the Lord. Should God reward him? Of course not. Now, Paul, last of all, argues, if this is true then, why not say, if all this is true with the non-believing Jews saying, why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. Take note that he reveals the foolishness of such a twisted view of God and sin by this rhetorical question that has only one answer. No, we're not to do evil. In fact, look at it. It's in a question form. Why not say, let us do evil that good may come? That gives you the answer. No, he then reveals this to be slanderous. A slanderous report by some Jews as being taught by him and other Christians. They're saying that Paul is a Christian and other Christians were doing this, saying this, teaching this. Wrong. They're slandering him and the Christian individuals. He declares others affirm the slanderous report. So they're saying it and then other people just affirm that he is saying it. He declares that their judgment is just. That's the bottom line. And the word just means right. He's doing a whole word play on unrighteous, righteous, and just. Same root word. Because God is just. The Apostle Paul concludes by the vindication here. He vindicates the righteous character of God and the justice of God who will bring judgment on such individuals. Amazing. Amazing. Justice Gray of the Supreme Court once said to a man who had appeared before him in one of the lower courts and had escaped conviction um, by some technicality. And I'm quoting him. He said, I know that you're guilty and you know it. And I wish to remem- that you remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. Whoa. There will be no mistakes when God judges individuals, ladies and gentlemen. He will need no information. If Paul says God will hold a Jew responsible for the oracles of God, how much more are we responsible for the New Testament message of the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Especially as Americans, with our history. With our opportunity to study, to read, to purchase books, to have Bibles. People who have heard the gospel and have rejected it. People who have embraced the gospel and walked away from it. People who in so-called Christian universities and seminaries do not believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. But judgment. Judgment. People who mock the scriptures as the standards for life and practice. Pastors and teachers who embrace heresy. We've spoken about the emergent church. The emergent church tells you that there's nothing you can learn from the Bible as objective truth. We cannot be sure. So all they do is they dialogue. They talk about it. They throw around opinions. But they don't study the Bible. They don't believe in hell, sin, eternity. It's just a conglomeration of a lot of seemingly good moral pagans. Passing themselves off as Christians. Wow. There are people, pastors and missionaries that lie, steal, commit sexual sin. And God uses them. Has used them. Will continue to use them. And they will bring many to Christ. Yet some believe that God will reward them. Others know that God will judge them. And still others conclude that because God uses them to bring many to the kingdom that He winks at their sin. I don't think so. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is absolutely just. The distortion of God's righteousness is to be defended. Always.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the Simple Truths Regarding Judgment Now, if you'd like a copy of today's study on CD, ask for All Are Guilty Before God. They're available as always for only $4. This CD includes the complete message as it was originally delivered, including portions we just didn't have time to include on the air. Once again, the title to ask for is All Are Guilty Before God 91107 and thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch this helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area and then join us for more simple truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.